The team at Education First believes the world is better when people understand each other. Since 1965, Education First has helped millions of people explore new countries and cultures and see the world. You can join Education First by opening up your home to an international student and get paid for it as a host family. Education First has a school in Point Loma actively recruiting host families. Learn more at efhomestay.com. That's efhomestay.com. This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was a lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voice of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., they help high achievers enjoy their lives more fully, manage their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's Corient.com. Yeah, he promised me energy with the humming, and he didn't deliver. Oh, my goodness. That was like the worst moment of Jacob's life. May I have a volunteer, please? Well, I was ready to deliver energy, and then I got terrified that nobody was going to volunteer. Was and this that... at the nays embrace? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. But first... <laughs> I shouldn't have laughed, because that's what I want. Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Coco. I'm Scott Lewis, the CEO and editor-in-chief at Voice of San Diego. Lopez is enjoying a much-needed break, and I'm joined this week by education reporter Jacob McQuinney. What's up, Jacob? Nothing much. I I get the first introduction this week. Yeah. It's usually Lopez. I didn't say as always, because that's still, I don't know. Wow. Okay. (laughs) I I I didn't realize I was still in a probationary period. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And joining us, though, this week is senior investigative reporter, always a treat, Will Huntsbury. What's up, Will? What's up? Fighting for Jacob's spot now, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. You better watch out, dude. (laughs) Coming up on the show this week, your favorite time of the year. It's mailer season. We are reaching heretofore unseen levels of creativity in the Mail Stuff to Your House campaign strategy department. We'll discuss some of the messaging and strategy behind the political ads we and you are seeing. Send me more. We've got three weeks until the primary election. It's time to check in with some of those races. Some of the races locally, of course, could be influenced by the January 22nd flooding. There are a lot of people still displaced, and in southeastern San Diego, residents are pissed Floods destroyed some of those neighborhoods, and people are enraged over what they say are years of neglect. Will was there, got some uh, new reporting about what that community and their discontent is and what they're saying to city leaders. It's going to be a good show. Stay with us. But first... Uh, this week, we released the 2024 Parents' Guide to San Diego Schools. It is the one physical product we do every year, and it is a one-stop shop for all of your data needs regarding schools in San Diego County. 
It's awesome. And in this year, we have a bunch of great stuff in it. We have stuff about IEPs for students with special needs. We have stuff about after school care. And as usual, we have a whole bunch of numbers to give you an idea of how your kid's school is performing. Uh, you can get your guide now at vosd.org slash schools. There are PDFs and print copies available. And to help you understand the guide and everything about local schools, we've set up some in-person workshops. We'll be hosting info sessions across the region in the coming weeks. You can come see us, ask us something, give us a tip. I don't know, whatever you want to do, get your copy of the guide and come away with confidence about how you'll approach your kid's education. That link again is vosd.org slash schools. Get the guide, see the data, RSVP to a workshop. That's vosd.org slash schools. Before she left, Lopez sent me an email that she had received from Terry Hoskins. He's running for city council in District 9 against the council president, Sean Elo Rivera. You might think it's a, of course, tough race for him. You have an incumbent city council president, but he's pretty confident. feels like he's he's got a shot. He says in the email, I feel confident it'll be one of the two going forward to the general election. Regardless of the primary outcome, I invite everyone to attend the rally for Terry. Okay, Terry. <laughs> I First of all, I, I think a rally for Scott would be fantastic. <laughs> I, I would love to invite people to a rally for Scott. Okay, not, so not, for, not for an office, just to like all, you know, cheer your awesomeness. Right. Is that, is that what you're thinking? Rally, just a rally for me. <laughs> So uh, this one is going to be held, he says, at the San Diego Police Officers Building in its Hall of Valor. The Hall of Valor. Okay. Uh, he says Do you think they have a, like halls for all the traits that you would hope a officer has? It's like a yeah. hall of like- Marksmanship. Of empathy. <laughs> <laughs> Marksmanship. I don't know. Do community they have a connect, hall? of community connection. <laughs> a, a hall of like not shooting dogs or something. Yeah. We have a, he says, we have a band to entertain everyone. Finger food? Yes. And alcohol. And then this this is the money part. This is what got my attention. Thus far, former city council member Marty Emerald will be in attendance, along with city attorney Mara Elliott. She really does not like Shawnee La Rivera, huh? And possibly one of the assistant chiefs of police. Chief Nislite, though, will not be in San Diego that day. Right. Which is like... <laughs> the implication is yeah, that Nislite would be there? Yeah. Now, all, all those people going is interesting, but the one that stuck out for me, other than the mystery assistant chiefs of police, <laughs> is city attorney Mara Elliott. Like Because we knew she had, she, was, she had some beef with the council president. That's been something this show has covered. Mm-hmm. She's not Indeed. a fan. And he's he's had some criticisms as well. Yes. Um, but to take the step to support, you know, his opposition in a way like this, especially after she really consciously wanted to stay away from being political. That was kind of a, a, a principle she was talking <laughs> about. This was just an interesting step. So I, I asked her consultant what the deal was. Was she endorsing this uh this uh, Terry Hoskins running uh-huh, for uh-huh. this office. I mean, you would to think, be fair, you would think. To be fair, she may really just like finger foods and alcohol <laughs> and alcohol and sure. a rally for Terry. <laughs> like, sounds fun. <laughs> I mean, she's just supporting a community member. <laughs> yeah, I. 
So I, I, listen, I'm a party person too, so I get it. Yeah, and, yeah. and and there'd be a lot of people at a rally for Jacob, probably. <laughs> I, I, I would I'd hope. Come, would you? For, yeah. Would you come with like a, a you know one of those cutouts of your face that you see at at, at yeah. like basketball games? As long as she had finger food. <laughs> uh, so I asked him. I said, "So is she supporting him?" And and he says, "No, she's going as a friend." Okay. Um, she's. She uh, she's known him a long time. It's like they're going to prom as friends. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Does she, do you think she gets up to speak at this rally for Terry and just says, "Just as a friend, he's a great guy. <laughs> I do not necessarily support him." Attending for, rallies does not equal endorsements. For, for this this officer, not. <laughs> I thought this was a personal rally for Terry. Yeah, yeah. I mean. <laughs> Just rallying for him. Yeah, he, he needed got it. it. Terry. Terry needed it. He needed a boost this week. He's having a tough time, you know. Like he 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 was he was running low on finger foods and, yeah. and yeah. So, so Terry, of course, was a, uh, a a police officer in the district, just retired. He's ready to take this on. The police officers' association sent out a mailer on his behalf. So they're really trying to make the case and get him into the runoff. There's the another cops candidate. Didn't support you when you're a cop. That'd be a bad sign, you know. That'd be. <laughs> they haven't supported Larry Turner, who's an actual active duty cop running for mayor. Well, maybe they just more don't on that lose later. Him. But yes, very weird. Uh, so you get the police officer association. They're hosting him at the Hall of Valor, um, but she's just going as a friend. Hmm. Now this is kind of her way, in a way, like she. It's like when she came out and wrote this like blistering take about the change to the city attorney's office that Elo Rivera and others were supporting that mm-hmm. would, you know, completely take away all her power to be the city attorney, <laughs> although she'd be out, but the next person's power. Uh, she wrote this just blistering analysis of it about yeah. all the problems with I it. Her read up. And and then when we asked her, like, well, does that mean you don't like it? And she's like, Oh no, I'm neutral. <laughs> so it's uh, I get it. We're you know we're journalists. We 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 hold lines like that sometimes. But uh, so that's the situation there. Uh, Mara Elliott does not not support the opponent to Council President Shawnee Lo Rivera. She only supports that he's a chill ass dude. Yeah, <laughs> and she's she's ready to rally for him. <laughs> the chief deputy city attorney Heather Ferbert is running for that office. Now, Mara Elliott was the chief deputy city attorney when she ran. And a lot of people conclude that, you know, she was able to outdo, out campaign the two other prominent candidates in that race who were who were well funded, had a lot more money, uh, had a lot more endorsements, had a lot more public support than she did. And the common theory is that she was able to overcome that because of her title, Chief Deputy City Attorney. That, right. that That's just, you know, it's a very low information race. They say, well, this person seems like the Chief Deputy. Yeah, so they that, must be good at it. And be. so that, was, that appeared right next to her name. Right. The ballot. And so, so that is going to obviously be to Heather Ferbert's advantage as she runs against Assemblyman Brian Mainshine. Remember, he was a city council member. He was a prominent Republican. When we used to talk about who was going to run for mayor of San Diego, he was always there uh, as like, you know, the the, the product of the it's white me, guy guys. factory, like ready to take his job. <laughs> and uh, and he, he became an assemblyman. He was always on the forefront of pet legislation, you know, safe pet evacuation things, pet 
rights, pet-friendly shelters. Uh, you know, he's just, he, that was kind of a, he was, the point is he was, he didn't like doing difficult legislation. He uh-huh. wasn't in the middle of like uh-huh. whether police could, you know, shoot somebody or something. He was always on the side of like, yes, we don't need to be causing any trouble here. Mm. And uh, he ended up having to switch party or he chose to switch parties during that wave after 2016 of, mm-hmm. of these Republicans rethinking things. But he didn't make the stop. I thought he was later switching. It was 2016. No, it was later. But oh. after that, you uh-huh. know, the, the, yeah. the president at the time was controversial. Yeah. <laughs> and uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. I, now I'm remembering. And uh, uh, Mainshine switched. But instead of stopping like many of them do at uh, in, uh, Independent, he just went right for the Dems. They have this big, you know, breakfast and welcome him as like a, he's a he's a dem. Yeah, the Nathan he, Fletcher move. He went well. Fletcher stopped at, at Independent for a few months. Uh-huh. Oh, I see. <laughs> yeah, he had a brief pause. <laughs> he was like, "This is what I am now." Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mainshine went right to the dem, became a uh, top dem right away. You know, they they love him. He's he's a champion of the unions. The 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 pets advocates love him. And, uh, of course, the mayor wants him to be city attorney. So there's one problem, and that is that he hasn't practiced law for like 25 years or so. Mm-hmm. Whoops. So that brings up the question. Now, Heather Ferber has the support not just of the current city attorney, Mara Elliott, her boss, but also the largest union of city employees, the Municipal Employees Association, MEA. Uh-huh. They really don't like Brian Mainstein going way back to when he was Republican on the city council, right? Do, do they hate pets? Uh, probably. <laughs> Safe to assume. <laughs> so she uh, gets the support of the MEA. And so it's kind of an interesting battle, right? Is uh-huh. the union going to be stronger than the mayor and the sort of machine that, that Brian Mainshine has been now welcomed into, right? So uh, one of the big attacks that she's hitting, and she released an ad about this, is that he is having trouble articulating why it matters or doesn't matter that he doesn't have any recent experience practicing law. Mm. And the UT editorial board asked him about that recently as they led up to their own endorsement of Ferbert as well. And they asked him about it, and he kind of stumbled. He's like, well, you know, I don't know. He didn't really have a good answer for it, right? So I think it'll be really interesting to see if that resonates because I think there is a case that as a city attorney, you don't actually have to be like a deep, you know, jurisprudence expert law thinker. Uh-huh. Like you, you know, you need to be a manager of a big firm. You're, you Remind need... us what city attorney does, Scott. There's two parts. Thank you for asking. Yeah, uh, yes, I knew you could do it. Yeah. Uh, the The one side is uh, is the criminal side. They prosecute all misdemeanors within the city of San Diego and Poway. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And so that's Why like not? that's like public urination. You know, you steal too many things, but not a felony level, right? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, some domestic violence issues are in there. That's a big deal. DUIs, I guess. Yeah, sometimes. So, um, uh, lot. It's a big job. A lot of a lot of criminal things go through there. And then there's you know the occasional like conflicts of interest thing. Like remember the the Hughes, mm-hmm. um, right? Jason Hughes got prosecuted um, as a misdemeanor. So there's there's things like that. And then the other side is to to both be the lawyer for the city or hire lawyers if they get sued or need to sue, and then also to provide guidance to the city itself about how to handle legal issues all the time, right? So right. to be the lawyer. 
So uh, there's a, there's dozens of attorneys there. They have their own union. They have their own big office. You know, there's a lot going on as you make these decisions about how to handle these things. And so you could make the case that like, well, you don't have to be a, a lawyer because you just need to be a good leader in that situation, a good manager of people. But I don't know if he can even do that. I don't know if like he has like this stellar rec- you know, record uh-huh. as like a CEO or executive, you know? Well, if he's having trouble answering the question, I mean, does he know well what city attorney does? I think he does. I think somebody was asking me how to make this decision the other day and I was like, you know, She's going to be like well into the weeds of everything going on in the city attorney's office. And he's going to be this like, we're going to play the game better guy. You know uh-huh. what I mean? We're going to like maybe get stuff done better or something. And I don't know which one of these you want, you know, and that's the, what you're going to have to decide. So that's a really interesting decision. Now that push that they were making to take away all of the other responsibilities, but the uh, misdemeanor prosecutions, there was a push to put something on the ballot that would take all those responsibilities away and give them to an appointed city attorney, a municipal attorney, I think they called it. Right. Uh, that died in part because the mayor was like, I want my my guy, Brian Mainshine, to get this job and I want him to have those those uh, that plethora of responsibilities. Huh. Mm. So that's how that's going. Now, this is a primary. They're both going to advance. So I'm not sure why there's a lot of attention going on right now. They're both going to advance. But I think there's some bragging rights. If she beats him in the primary, that would be like alarm bells at the old mayor's office. Um, but you know, if he crushes her, that's a different thing too. So, uh, we'll see how it goes. I mean, is it, is it clear why Mainshine wants this job? Is it a stepping stone to higher office to the mayorship? I mean, well, he, you know, he already put together a campaign committee to run for attorney general in several mm, years. Already. Already. Now they do this because they want to raise money into it to, you know, further bolster their coffers that yeah. they can transfer they can transfer it into different ones. Uh, I don't think he can bring it into a local race from a state one, but uh, so he may want to be AG someday. He could, you could make the case to be uh, mayor maybe someday. Uh, Which is why I think that the city councilors who have had trouble with this position as the lawyer for the city council make a pretty solid point you know it, it is a little weird having somebody who has to be politically elected up there supposedly serving the city council because i've covered a lot of city councils usually they just have a city lawyer who works for them and that person is their employee and gives them legal advice that is not exactly what our city attorney is and yeah. and we've seen conflict because of that like yeah. several times and as a citizen, I just hate to see the conflict gunking up the works. I think there's the, what they would say, what Mara says is, well, without me being independent, you wouldn't hear about things that are uncomfortable for them about some of these deals they're trying to make. You wouldn't hear about um, maybe waste or different um, conflicts that we think should be highlighted. Sure. Um, and I, but I do think, yeah, there's another side that's like, no, we should have a wheel greasing get stuff done situation and so I yeah think, and employees can tell you when they think something you're saying is a bad idea you right know, if they can't that's a different kind of broken culture mm-hmm. exactly uh, <laughs> got to be a really receptive and inclusive leader right exactly so when scott and i are in there yelling at each other that's healthy it is <laughs> So as you all know, I'm obsessed with political advertising and the imagery they use and such. The other day- You're like I, the Marshall McLuhan of like <laughs> uh, political ads. Thank you. Uh, 
I was driving with my daughter and uh, her teammate the other day. I was driving them back from their lesson. And there is a big billboard in Midway uh, for Stephen Whitburn that's several miles away from his district. Yeah. Now, I guess uh, you could make the point that like there are a lot of people drive through Midway. Like sure. it's pretty central. We all play. have to go there sometimes. But it was also like, what are they doing? It's just a giant Midway. It's like, you know. Uh, just Stephen Whitburn's Stephen Whit- real boring Stephen face. Whitburn. It's just a giant picture of him. And so we're sitting at the light looking at it, and I go, you know what that, you know, what's interesting about that, you guys, is like, that's uh, that's not his district. Uh, I know that guy. He was a little mad at me a couple of weeks. And it was stone cold silence. Yeah, could, you just, could you just see that these 12-year-old girls? They had could no, you just see the glossiness they in their eyes, you know? like Negative interest in anything <laughs> I was saying. Yeah. I was you like, killed the mood, dude. You killed the vibe so hard. But they are not my podcast listeners. You all are. <laughs> Let's get into it. Uh, there's some good ones out there. Um, also in Ocean Beach, Tara Lawson Reamer, county supervisor, running for uh, supervisor again. She's running for re-election. Yeah. Against former mayor of San Diego, the Republican Kevin Faulkner. He's got a lot of name ID. Uh, the district does go in Ocean Beach. But I saw there's these signs that came up that said, Faulkner stands with Trump, and it's in that Trump text, you know, font. the the font, that uh, block e uh, font. Yeah, the blocky. It looks like it's a. Uh, it, very curious which font that is. It looks like a, a you know a Trump sign. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but I got up close to it, and it says "paid for by the Tara Lawson Reamer campaign." Mm. Yeah, and uh, you know, it's I buy just, it. It was like a classic. Now I've seen these bank shots before. In mailers, this is a Scott Lewis term. Everybody, yeah, the bank the, shot the, the, is an advertisement that is for your the person you for your opponent. If you think it will hurt them, it's yeah. It's a. It looks like it's gonna go one direction. Like it's 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 Trump and Faulkner. Like Faulkner's trying to tout his Trump rightness, but it's actually trying to do something else. It's a bank shot. Right? Yeah, got Scott, it. Got it. You know your your love for mailer, mailers is so well documented. Have you ever thought about putting out a mailer yourself? Just like a, a mailer was, about mailers. I was seeing a mailer coffee table <sighs> book, but your idea is better. Actually, actually, actually if we sent good. a yeah. mailer to every San Diego voter that like looked like a mailer, but showed like how to interpret them and uh-huh. like and had different quotes about Voice San Diego's uh-uh. value. Uh-uh. That could that'd be, be that could be, be great. A, Ideas are being hatched. That could be Voice of San Diego's second print product. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right, so so that was the first bank shot I've seen in a sign form. Yeah, in an actual yard sign form where yard signs are usually just straight like vote for this person. Yes, mm-hmm. they're never they're, they're they're never trying to do like a second or third level thing. That was so that was pretty impressive. Now it's even more impressive as a second or third level thing because they're not even on the ballot. They're both going to the runoff, and so the county doesn't even put them on the primary ballot mm-hmm. uh-huh. while there's a you know a, a set runoff already occurring. Yeah, and so that she's just so laying the groundwork yeah. while people are paying attention that this guy likes Trump, right? Yeah, yeah. So she's, she's making Faulkner great again. But I think we have seen the most brazen bank shot yet in mailer form. Okay. Mayor Todd Gloria is being supported by an independent expenditure committee called New San Diego. And New San Diego has put out mailers. Now, the first one came out. It was just like, uh, it said the Republican voter alert. Jane 
Glasson is the only Republican running for San Diego mayor, has a quote from Jessica Patterson, chair of the Republican Party. Now, it looks like a, it looks and feels like an ad for a Republican. Mm-hmm. But it, again, it is put out by the uh, mayor, Todd Gloria's friends. And mayor Todd Gloria is a Democrat. He does not want her to be elected. So being a, the calculus now clearly from these bank shots is that being in a Republican in San Diego is so toxic. Just calling people that is enough. Is it? No, is it a head spin? The opposite. I, I, no, they're I trying think to in get. This, exactly. In this instance, they're trying to get Jane. They're trying to make sure that Jane advances so that, uh, so that Gloria doesn't have to face. They, uh, right. They want Republicans lefty. to see that and say, Ding, <clears throat> they think it is that's work. actually my choice if she's that. Like, it's a yeah. very, like, I want her. Uh-huh. You run the campaign. So, famously, back in 2012, uh, Bob Filner was running for mayor. Uh, uh, along with Nathan Fletcher mm-hmm. and Carl DeMaio and uh, Bonnie Dumanis. Now, Carl DeMaio's team wanted to run against Bob Filner more than they wanted to, wanted to run against Nathan Fletcher. So they did the same thing to Bob Filner. They pumped him up. Now, didn't work out well for them because <laughs> Bob Filner ended up winning uh, was and, DeMaio and, who and then assaulting women at City yeah, Hall. Yeah, arguably and, it didn't work out for anybody. No, it was Not a even bad thing for them. They even quote, there's even a quote from uh, Jason Rowe, the consultant there. He said, we ran the campaign that Bob Filner was incapable of running for himself. <laughs> <laughs> is a quote to KPBS. So bank shots are there. It's an old thing. Yeah, sure. But this is, so that was one level. It got really interesting after that. The... Same group, New San Diego, put out a mailer with uh, Carl DeMaio, probably one of the best-known Republican sort of leaders in this region. And it, it has a. It, it says at the top, Jane Glasson is the only Republican running for mayor. And then has a quote from him that says, Democrats are lying to you on your ballot with deceptive titles. <laughs> and this is in a mailer that is deceptively presenting him <laughs> as touting Jane Glasson as the mayor uh, candidate uh, that he prefers, and it shows the vote uh, being filled in for her name uh, on the ballot. Uh, and it's they just, had a quote from somebody else on the other one, right? And, and all these Glasson mailers, they're just using quotes they just from random quotes Republicans. And random. Ran, not even referring to her. Not at all. Like, they're not, just they're, out of context. They're just, they're just like, Republicans are good. <laughs> Jane Glasson. <laughs> It's so it's amazing to me. I just love this stuff. I now I think there's an argument online about well, are they trying to support her and get her into the runoff, or are they just trying to take uh, votes away from the other? You know, Larry Turner, the police officers running, you know, kind of be tough on homelessness, but also just uh, I'm an independent. I don't care about politics, but I'm going to run for political office. And then uh, Genevieve Jones Wright, the former public defender and uh, activist attorney, candidate, uh, civil rights uh, activist, and nonprofit executive. She um, she's running, so they're kind of on both sides of this uh, of the mayor. You know, trying to hold him accountable now. So he just doesn't want to run against either of them. I think mm-hmm. is the key. Interesting in the runoff. Well, why do you what do you, what do you think the worry is about Larry? I just think that if one of the others goes on, that they just have to work. And mm-hmm. I don't think they want to work. Mm. Right. I think it's just like, right. I don't think he's, I don't, it would be really hard for Genevieve or Larry to beat the mayor. Just they don't have the funds, the name recognition to really oust an incumbent mayor that's not just completely beleaguered by scandal. Now, he is a very weak 
sort of politician right now based on some of the polling and such that is out there. But he's not like dead. You know Either I mean? one of them are going to force him to have a conversation about public safety issues, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Larry Turner presumably is going to be from a little bit more of a conservative angle and Genevieve is going to be from the left. And, uh, you know, I guess he would have to work. He'd have to drift whichever way. You'd just have you to know, work. You'd have to raise more money. You'd have to, you know, do more work. You'd have to put himself out there more on yeah. exactly how he feels but, about public safety. But this woman, Jane Glass, and she's run for city council a few times. She's just, she's not a competitive uh, candidate out there. And so uh, he's, he'd like to run against her. So that's, that's uh, the, that's a big bank shot. That's a big bank shot. Uh, I got, you know, this is going up, up and down the state. Adam Schiff's running for U.S. Senate. Uh, and he is trying to boost the Republican in the race, Steve Garvey. He ran TV ads that say like, boy, this Garvey's going to be trouble. He loves Trump and he's a Republican. Can't believe that. We got to keep away from that. But that's like clearly trying to do again the campaign that Garvey himself can't do right, to yeah. rally uh, Republicans to, to get him into the runoff because he does not want to run against Katie Porter or Barbara, or Lee. Barbara Lee in that uh, runoff because that could, again, be much more difficult for him. So mm-hmm. uh, the Is he a, well out front, Schiff? In that Schiff thing? is pretty well guaranteed that, that runoff spot. Yeah. But not guaranteed. Nobody's guaranteed anything, but it's certainly... Uh, Been looking that way. Yeah. Okay, side note about Larry Turner. He's got a little issue. So he, I remember I met him about, I don't know, what, five months ago or something. Uh-huh. And I and, and he's, I said, where do you actually live? And he said, oh, I live in East Village. And I remember thinking like, well, you have two kids. You live in East Village. You're kind yeah. of, you're a cop. Like it doesn't, it doesn't feel like that fits. Like yeah. it doesn't, it's not the normal stereotype of where a right. guy with two kids and a wife uh, and a cop would live, right? Um, and uh, but I just kind of filed it away. Uh, last week or a couple weeks ago, the uh, that same group, the the one that is sponsoring the ads out there, trying to get the the woman into the primary or runoff with uh, uh, Mayor Todd Gloria, they released a letter saying that they suspect that Larry Turner does not actually live at that East Village location. Uh, since I talked to him, he ended up moving to Ocean Beach. Um, and they said, look, that when he signed up to be mayor and to do the nominating papers, uh, he the city law is that 30 days before that, you have to have been registered within the city of San Diego. And he registered at this East Village address. They hired a private investigator, the same private investigator that investigated uh, Amar Campanajar wow. and whether he lived in Chula Vista. And, this guy's and, got a good business going. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say. And like, you know, congl- clandestinely like filmed him at Sarah Jacobs uh, <laughs> uh-huh. a residence, remember? <laughs> yeah. And so they hired him to to see and they're like, well, this guy says he never saw him at this East Village place. And, and so I talked to Turner and I was like, well, did you, what's the deal? And he's like, well, this is just a cheesy political attempt to, you know, support Genevieve Jones right in the election, get me out of it so that she he can beat her. As Larry a, Turner is who they fear most. Yeah, to. I'm just, you know, I knew this was going to happen. They're, they're going to drag me through the mud, all that kind of stuff. But it's kind of an issue because uh, the condo is owned by uh, Giorgio Crelio, who is his campaign manager. Right. And so, again, it's like, did he really live at that condo with his wife and two kids and Giorgio? 
uh, in East Village, and, and and that's how that's that was. Was Georgia renting it to them? Right. And so um, I asked him. He's like, "Well, look, we moved to we, we yeah, that's where we 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 established residency, but we moved to OB." I said, "So do you plan to raise your kids in OB?" I'm an Obishan. And he's like, yeah, I love it here, except for the dogs that poop on our lawn. You know, he's he's you know, kind of brushing it off, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but this week, uh, the campaign has now sued the city clerk and um, and included him as a real party of interest that like he shouldn't be allowed to even get into the runoff. Right. If he, uh, They're if trying to knock the him off the ballot. Do you know how this process works, Scott? I, I do not know. If they are to determine that... Uh, it, that he doesn't qualify, I think what they would do is just throw out his vote. Now, the um, the interesting part is the person leading this is Bob Audley. He's the lawyer that they've hired. Uh-huh. Bob Audley is the lawyer that got all of the write-in votes for Donna Fry disqualified huh. in 2004. Mm, that hurts me a little. That Donna Fry story is legendary. It's amazing. I'll never forget that. That 5,000 or so votes in the primary that were her name written in. She yes. was running a write-in campaign. They wrote her name in, but they didn't fill in the bubble next to her name. Uh-huh. And he successfully argued. I was in the court. Mm. He successfully argued mm. That they didn't count because they didn't fill in the bubble. That guy is were... that guy is anti-democratic. I'm putting my dollar down, dude. <laughs> You're getting people kicked off the ballot for a technicality when the people of San Diego voted for Donna Fry. They clearly <laughs> voted for her. Yeah, yeah, they clearly voted for her. No, I, I think the better argument was that she shouldn't have been allowed in the final election because uh, she hadn't gone through the primary. You know, like, like that's the point. You should have to go through a primary to lower it to, to, to get to the, the final two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, they ended up just throwing out her votes. Uh, so <laughs> that did, terrible day, sad day. And so day then I think that's the question for, for people out there who care about the city. Does it matter? Does, is the residency requirement just a technicality that he, you know, maybe all you have to do is just like say you live in a place and register to vote there and that's it? Or does it have to be more of a connection? And I think it goes back to the same point I made about Mark Campanajar. Like they should probably just make a case that he hasn't been involved in city in city stuff uh-huh. if that's the because that's the real like issue. Are you a city person who's yeah. dealt with city problems? It is fun to imagine though that if you just have like a homie who lives in a place, you can just say that that's your house and run for mayor there. You know? Yeah, because he he owned now to be clear, he owns a place in sort of El Cajon Alpine area mm-hmm. that he bought right before COVID. He stayed there. He registered to vote and voted out there in twenty and twenty two. So it's like that was his home. He's very clear about that. Now, the other thing, he, he was a Marine and Marines, you know, they bounce around a lot. They establish residency. So it's, it's a little bit more, um, I guess, a little bit more flexible. So sure. that's going to be a really interesting thing to watch. Like if, if he does get second place in the votes and then they get those thrown out, it could be interesting, especially if it's, well, then, if it's then Jane. It's just Gloria? Well, Jane, no. that's what they're going to try to do, right? Get Jane in there. Uh-huh. Uh, I already. I also during that time I asked him about uh, Genevieve Jones Wright, and he said, "Look, I, I, I honestly no bullshit. She's a cool woman. I like her." He's like, "I like Genevieve." <laughs> now she's well known as like kind of the one of the top sort of uh, advocates for accountability of police officers. Serious, uh, serious police reform, mm-hmm. and ran for district attorney. Of course, um, he said, 
Uh, the police department's relationship with disadvantaged communities needs repair. They have a long history of bad experiences with the police department. I can see it from the other side a little bit, but there needs to be better communications. And regardless, it's the job of the police department to make it right no matter who's to blame. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm not sure his fellow police are that excited about that kind of thing. Right. Maybe, well, when you maybe, said they have not endorsed him. Well, yeah. maybe that's why they didn't host him in the Hall of Valor. <laughs> <laughs> they are going to put him in the Hall of Empathy, actually. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., they help high achievers enjoy their lives more fully, manage their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's Corient.com. The team at Education First believes the world is better when people understand each other. Since 1965, Education First has helped millions of people explore new countries and cultures and see the world. You can join Education First by opening up your home to an international student and get paid for it as a host family. Education First has a school in Point Loma actively recruiting host families. Learn more at efhomestay.com. That's efhomestay.com. We have posted a story from you, Will, about the ongoing sort of consequences and reverberations of the January 22nd flood, in particular in Southcrest and Shelltown, two neighborhoods in District 8, southeastern San Diego, south of Logan Avenue there, and uh, the massive flooding that occurred. Places devastated. You were the first one to kind of try to put a number on how many people had been displaced. So talk about that and, and what you've been hearing since then. I actually was not in San Diego when the floods occurred. I was on vacation. And then I got back and I was like, I'd seen all the images and I was trying to understand the scope of the devastation. I realized there wasn't a number out there really. And, you know, so we were able to count at least 1,300, roughly 1,300 that had been displaced and it could be significantly higher. Mm. That was just the amount of people who had received a hotel voucher. It didn't include people couch surfing or paying for their own hotel. So, yeah. so the, the devastations widespread and I'm going around to these neighborhoods, talking to people. That's more or less what I've been doing for the past week. And, you know, one of the first things I heard was um, at the YMCA, which was kind of this disaster response center was that people know the city knew the canals were a problem. They did not, do anything about it and so from that information i think a lot of residents started to put they think that there could be some intentionality behind the flooding that happened you know that 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 you know the city knew it and let it happen and that was what they wanted and they wanted our neighborhood to be devastated and that level of distrust i really wanted to document that yeah Mm -hmm. What you're talking about is these these channelized creeks, right? So these, in, yes. especially in the s- southern fork of the Choyas Creek in San Diego, there's it, it's not a river, a natural river anymore. It's it's got concrete sides, right? But 
um, vegetation grew in the middle of it. McKinsey uh, wrote about it. People yeah. said it looked like a jungle. Yeah, our um, McKinsey Elmer did a great story about how the city wrestles with these wetlands because what happens is these plants grow and then when they are allowed to grow, they become official wetlands. And so the city feels like it can't clear them out because regulators will make them plant wetlands somewhere else. And it becomes a real hassle. We, we just wrote about a uh, a development in Encinitas where they're they're making the case that they're wetlands and so thus they need to be mitigated somewhere yeah, instead. Yeah. instead it's, it's a big deal. But the city was able to clear them out right after the floods. and They so, decided they could. Yeah. And so it's it, uh, McKenzie did a pretty good job explaining, uh, but it's still really interesting and, and complicated. But the point is the residents knew that it was blocking the, this important channel that that carries the water during storms out of their area. Yes. It was, and it caused a flood and the flood happened and it ruined their lives. And now they're like, well, you knew this was going to happen. We asked you to clean it out. You never did. And now our houses are ruined. So how do we, what do we find out of that? Like other than that you wanted this to happen. Right. And, and so when, when you hear people talk about this, is, are there, are there specific theories? I mean, what, wh- why would a city want its, residents to suffer like that what 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 are those residents there are some specific theories um you know a guy was talking to yesterday um who y'all talked to too jesse preciato Mm -hmm. who kind of saved his little block by unclogging a drain he was saying you know this area is like low income this is not a tourist area this is not a city a part of the area that makes money for the city you know and then somebody else chimed in and they're like yeah you see all these big apartment complexes in other parts of the city and maybe they're trying to make way for these big Mm. apartment complexes here or maybe they're trying to make way for more tourism here you know um one woman said they're trying to wipe out our legacy because we're talking about areas of the city that are historically black and latino areas you know uh, because that was the only place they were allowed places that they were forced by the power structure to go and create their community 50 70 years ago yeah they've created their community there they love it and now they feel they're being forced from it and best case scenario city leaders don't care if not straight up want it to happen now and again that's not a theory you're necessarily buying into but that that distrust has reached such a level it's worth right now making sure people see it and deal with it. Yes, because I think we, at Voice of San Diego, we think all the time about how government can connect with people and how we can connect civic affairs with people, right? And we know that can be an uphill battle. People have their lives to live. So they're not always paying attention to what government's doing or all the latest policy debates or or somebody trying to push at City Hall for the drainage canals to be cleaned out. And, um, you know, and, and we talk about underserved areas of the community where that trust is at the least and people maybe are sometimes engaged the least. And I think I have come to see this as a real world example of like people, people being like, what have you done for me before? What are you doing for me now? Like being in to the extent I can be engaged with you. I have a traumatic relationship and I pretty much, and I think you're trying to kill me almost, you know, and, and to me, like our city should be so concerned with that as a, a civic nerd sitting at this podcast table, you know, 
we need to be building trust with underserved communities. And what we have ongoing is the opposite of that. Yeah. So has the city responded to you? Have you spoken to anybody at the city in terms of, you know, what their feelings are and, and, and what they're doing to, to bring trust back to these areas that, that have long I mean, felt forgotten. Might, maybe, maybe Nate will cut this question, but I, I kind of don't care what they have to say. Like right now, I just want this story to like shout at them that there's a problem they need to deal with. I don't really want to hear the boilerplate that they have about rebuilding trust with these communities like this is a story like documenting what's happening on the ground yeah. in Shelltown right now and i and i'm i doubt obviously that there's a you know these these guys putting their fingers together <laughs> saying like we're gonna clear out this Shelltown and southcrest so we can put the so we can there gentrify it and right. let's let it flood and make that happen obviously that would be an incredible story to get if you can get it go for it yeah but i think obviously more likely is is you know a series of historical decisions that have led to this point and and why they don't think it was major priority to clear out those channels or to otherwise deal with a known flooding problem like regardless of what's true about you know what they knew and didn't know or what they were plotting they knew that it was going to flood in Southcrest they knew that uh, it would do that whenever there was heavy rain and they that's been a thing they've dealt with well for many many years mm-hmm. they also know and they profess to believe the data that the storms are going to get more intense and thus cause more of these kinds of problems they knew that these this storm would come that level and it still didn't do it and so all of those basic established facts don't even need to deal with like some deeper conspiracy to know that would were that the case for other well-resourced neighborhoods, would that have been allowed to happen? Yes. And I think uh, you have to wonder like, well, there, there's no maybe there's no creek in La Jolla and the topography is such that it wouldn't have caused it. But that's the point. Like they were they were not allowed to live in those areas mm-hmm. where the topography would protect them more. Right. And so there was a conspiracy to put them there, you know. Right. And there was a conspiracy. This does stem from a conspiracy. <laughs> and so the question now is at what point do you, and how do you reverse that? What kind of actual like, you know, uh, infrastructure yeah. and, and, and benefit change? Cause I did you, ask people that, you know, how do you... How did how could government rebuild trust with you? And people wanted not a lot, and I'm still worried they're not going to get it. They want an apology, and they want city leaders to do their job. That is all they want. No one's like looking for a million dollars, but like there come, are suits though, right? Th- yeah, there are. There certainly are, and there should be maybe. But you know, come down here, like shake our hand. Tell us that you knew it was a problem and you're sorry you didn't fix it. And like then then fix everything and do your job in this area. Yeah. Uh we were I, I was talking with Chida Warren Darby. She's running for city council, not in that particular neighborhood, but north of it. And she works for the mayor. And even she wasn't willing to like just kind of defend the response. Like she's like, I I really want to know what happened. How come they didn't clear it out? Why would the, those calls unanswered? Like yeah. this is gonna be a political problem. Maybe not in the mayor's race necessarily the way it's shaping up. Right. But this is gonna this the echoes of this disaster are gonna be lasting. I mean, it's it's clear that this isn't a, a an issue about a, a a drainage canal about maintenance. This is an issue 
uh, about a city and, and where it, it places its effort and what citizens it values. And, and that is one that, that, as you said, is going to reverberate for many years. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a challenge that goes so far beyond the the elections. Though I did ask people about the elections, you know, and um, you know, resoundingly no one, you know, in the mayor's race said they would support Todd Gloria, but you know, people also talked about like what is the point of voting for me? The Republicans come, they don't do it. The Democrats come, they talk a big game about underserved communities, they don't do it. And so the lack of in if if there's a lack of engagement in places like Southcrest and Mountain View and Shelltown, it's frankly only reasonable mm-hmm. to not engage with people who refuse to engage with you. Now, no. there, there. This isn't to minimize the trouble too. Like cleaning cleaning out these creeks, there they will regrow the willows and the 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 plants in that in that one that they cleared out at the southern part of Choice Creek, and so. The, the real uh, issue is, are they going to actually do a, a year-round sort of right. continual maintenance mm-hmm. of that sort of thing and build the other infrastructure around there that would prevent that from happening in the future? That's a big deal, and it's a lot of money, and they're dealing with the deficit. So it's, it's not easy being mayor. <laughs> but as Scott know, always says. <laughs> I'm sure there are lots of mail-in ballots showing up at flooded-out empty houses right now. thanks for listening to the voice of san diego podcast the most popular public affairs podcast that does incredible in-depth coverage of mailers in local election it's the most popular public affairs podcast that does that in san diego get the new schools guide at vosd.org slash schools that's VOSD.org slash schools. I'm Scott Lewis, CEO and Editor-in-Chief at Voice San Diego. Jacob McQuinney's our education reporter. Will Huntsbury is senior investigative reporter. Nate Johns, our producer. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.